You're listening to The Digital Advisor, where agents and advisors come to get marketing, branding, and SEO strategies that help build their book, brand, and authority. This show is brought to you by Advisor Evolved, the all-new digital marketing solution built specifically for insurance agents and financial advisors. Get more show episodes and information about our platform over at AdvisorEvolve.com. And don't forget to subscribe to and rate our show in iTunes and Stitcher. Now on to today's show. Hello, hello. What's up, everybody? This is Chris from Advisor Evolved, and you're listening to Episode 7 of the Digital Advisor Podcast. Today, we have a special guest on the show, Mr. Albie Knight, who is the CEO of the Big Eye of North Carolina and a gentleman that I have a tremendous amount of respect for. Today, we're talking about the importance of the uh, insurance agency association or cluster aggregator and how they fit in to the independent insurance agency distribution channel, as well as some general things that you could probably take away uh, to help you build a better business and a better insurance agency. So as always, you can find this episode and other episodes over on the podcast page, advisorevolve.com forward slash podcast. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So with that, I want to go ahead and get to the show. Thank you very much for listening. Here we go. Well, thank you guys for coming out today to uh, listen to episode seven of the Digital Advisor podcast. I'm very, very excited today uh, to have on Albie Knight, who is the CEO of the uh, the Big Eye of North Carolina. Before we introduce Albie, I just want to give you a quick uh, heads up about Advisor Evolved in the Digital Advisor podcast. This is a podcast for insurance agencies, agency owners, producers, associations, anybody that's in the uh, independent agency space. And, you know, we, what we really aim to do is, you know, give you guys information, help, whether it be marketing uh, or anything else that will help you better your agency and better your business. So uh, with that, um, I welcome you to ep- episode seven. We're talking to Albie Knight uh, from the Big Eye of North Carolina. He's the CEO. And um, I've, been, I've been wanting to have this conversation today. We're going to be talking today about the sort of evolution of the cluster or association uh, relationship as it, as it relates to independent insurance agencies and kind of what the role they play is uh, in the independent insurance agency distribution channel. Um, and I hope it's going to be, I think it's going to be a very interesting topic. And I've been waiting to have this conversation for quite a while now and, and was very lucky, honestly, to catch Albie at a good time. We've been trying to do this for a while now and just schedules were not uh, matching up. And so finally, we're able to nail this down. So Albie, again, is the CEO of the Big Eye of North Carolina. Um, a very big, I think you're a, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you're a North Carolina Tar Heels fan, right? Yeah, can you see the wall behind me? Yeah, I'm a Georgia Bulldog fan, but uh, oh, I, 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 cheer, right. I cheer for the Tar Heels um, as well. Okay, good. Uh, so then you won't, you won't be, you're not too upset that, that Villanova beat North Carolina. Oh, I was very right? upset. I was absolutely okay. very upset because my, my whole <laughs> office staff was devastated. So we had a week of mourning. Yeah, I'm sure. Cause you know, I'm in Philly. So that, that was a very, yeah. you know, Philadelphia hasn't had a championship in a long time, um, especially in college basketball. So yeah, I, I didn't really want to bring that up. I was very cognizant to not tweet anything, you know, cause I didn't want you to see me bragging about, no, I'm kidding. But, yeah. but seriously, Albie, thank you very much for, uh, for coming on today with me. Um, My pleasure tell us, to be here. yeah, absolutely. Tell, tell us a little bit about, you know, before we kind of dig into this, um, you know, obviously, we know you're the CEO of the Big Eye North Carolina, but but tell us a little bit maybe about your story, uh, how you got to the to the point, you know, where you're at right now, and you know where you guys are going as uh, as an association. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, um, uh, briefly, I, I've been the with the uh, North Carolina Association for just over 18 months now, so about a year and a half. Uh, I was the CEO of the Georgia Big Eye uh, prior to that, and have spent most of my career with the with the uh, Georgia Association. Um, you know, I graduated from the University of Georgia in 1991, and I needed a job. And, and like a lot of people in the industry, kind of fell into the insurance business. Um, it, it was it was been it's been great for me. I, I worked uh, selling uh, group health insurance for uh, Mutual of Omaha for the first few years out of college. Um, had some success with that, and and I really fell in love with the insurance business. I, I won this great trip to the World Series to watch the Braves and Blue Jays uh, play in Toronto. Um, as Mutual of Omaha's Rookie of the Year back in uh, 1992, which was really fun. But uh, Mutual of Omaha underwent some changes and uh, re required uh, me to kind of take a, a reevaluation of where I wanted to go in the industry. So I started interviewing with some independent agencies in Georgia uh, to go to work, you know, to go to work as a producer. One of those agents, um, one of those agents was uh, on the board of directors of the Georgia Association at the time and referred me to an opening that the Georgia Association had uh, selling group health insurance, Arizona missions, and membership in the association. So I went, interviewed for that job, really with the thinking that I was trying to learn the property casualty business, uh, obtain a couple of designations, and, and then find the right agency to go back uh, to work for as a producer. And it turned out, you know, the association was just a great fit for me. And um, so I spent a, a long career with the uh, Georgia Association and then uh, had the opportunity to come to North Carolina a year and a half ago. Um, the North Carolina Association has always had a, a reputation of being uh, one of the very best associations in the uh, in the Big Eye Federation. So it was a great opportunity for me to um, come and, and, and lead this organization from the staff perspective and, and work with the good people here uh, in the great state of North Carolina. So this little background about um, you know how 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 I got here. Yeah, no, I always like I always like to hear the story, you know, of how people got to where they are in this business because, like you said, you kind of uh, you kind of fell into it, which I think a lot of people, you know, I don't know when you're a, a four or five six year old boy, you know, you want to be a firefighter, you want to be a policeman, you want to be a baseball star, you want to be an actor, whatever. Nobody I was, ever sits around. Be Batman, Chris. <laughs> I was Batman. That was yeah. Very cool, but yeah, yeah, it's just it's just funny how you know it works. It works out. You kind of know a little bit about my story. Started out in design and, and visual communications and web and marketing, and then a same same kind of thing. You know, fell into insurance. Very uh, you know low barrier to entry kind of thing with an unlimited income potential, and that's very appealing to somebody who, quite frankly, didn't know what the heck they wanted to do in life. You know. And so, yeah, it was very, very good to me. And of course, now back in the uh, the design and marketing thing with with Advisor Evolved. But yeah, I always love to hear stories, especially people like yourself who have kind of are at the at the top of their at the top of their game. And it's always interesting to me to to see you know how how people get to where they are in this industry because it's not an easy business to be in, you know. And uh, climbing the ranks is even harder now, I think, than, than it probably was you know many years ago. But um, so. With that, you know, I wanted to, to kind of dig into the conversation and talk a little bit about, you know, the role of an association like the Big Eye or a cluster, or I, I know that's probably a dirty word. A lot of people don't like to be referred to as a cluster. Um, but, um, but I, I, you know, I think at the end of the day, uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on the call is because I think that uh, in, in, you know, to a large degree, uh, associations and aggregators and these types of organizations 
um, are, are maybe missing the boat a little bit uh, or maybe a lot, um, depending on, you know, how they're set up and uh, who, their, who their, I guess, cl uh, clientele is as far as what their uh, agency partner book looks like. But I think really at the end of the day, um, there's a lot of things out there that insurance agencies need help with, especially smaller or scratch agencies and, and even large agencies that, you know, where the owners are approaching retirement. Um, they're just, I see, I talk to agencies all the time and I see these things uh, pop up and the questions that I get, I'm sure you get them too. And I think that there's a lot of things that, um, that can be brought to the table from an organization, you know, such as, um, you know, the big I chapters or, you know, uh, you know, the SIAA, uh, those types of organizations and, you know, uh, not throwing, obviously not throwing mud on anybody here, but, um, you know, I wanted to get you on here to talk about that because what you've just recently done is you've brought on someone in house, uh, to the big I North Carolina to kind of help, um, some of your agency partners and members really build a better, uh, a better business. And so, uh, when I look at, I wrote this uh, article a while back on our on our blog that talked about this. That was pretty, you know, well received within the uh, within the industry, thankfully. And I think that that's because it hit home on a lot of levels. And maybe, um, you know, there was probably some folks out there that were actually afraid to like it and share it because maybe they thought, you know, that I was talking directly to them. And it was not to, um, it was certainly not to again step on anybody's toes. But it's more or less to you know, shed some light on it so that some of these organizations can say, oh yeah, like we need to be doing this, not just to, you know, help our, our agency members grow, but we need to do this for ourselves so that we can actually have agency members and agency partners to begin with. Because like you probably are aware of, you know, when you're running an association like that, um, you know, you need membership for it to work. And if you don't understand how to reach um, you know, the new type of consumer, the new type of agency owner, because there is a shift happening, it can be problematic. And so um, tell me, I guess, a little bit about, you know, some of the things that uh, that you are doing with the big eye. And, you know, uh, it, we, we, we just taught you just introduced me to Ava, uh, like a week or so ago. And so touch on some of the things and maybe some of the holes that you see uh, in the system and maybe how you're trying to, you know, address those as, you know, as the CEO. Yeah, sure. So, um, Chris, you know, I, I think it's an absolute, you know, that we're, we're kind of sitting at this really critical moment for, for independent agents and for the, for the entire independent agency distribution system. Um, I'm very bullish on the future of the independent agent. Um, and, and sometimes I, I think people wonder about that because I, I do have uh, some, some pretty, Firm, firmly held beliefs about how the system needs to evolve. And, and I think that sometimes those beliefs uh, might get uh, misconstrued or misinterpreted for, for not being optimistic about what the future of the independent agent is. Um, but here, here's the reality that I see it. When I'm talking to our members, I hear this all the time. Uh, I mean, I firmly believe most of our members believe that they can offer a superior product. And, and that they can offer superior price to the direct riders and, and to the um, exclusive agents that are out there. Um, however, they're not getting the opportunity to write the business. Our members are having to work harder and harder every single year just to hold on, just to hold on to their book of business. You know, they're having to remarket accounts more frequently. Um, you know, when you look at the billions of dollars that are literally being spent um, through by, by the competitors of our members, by the direct riders. Um, by the exclusive agent channel, um, 
you know, I mean, as a matter of fact, I think you, you shared in one of your seminars that the average consumer is getting touched like seven or eight times a day by an insurance ad from one of our competitors that's telling um, the consumer, the customer of my member, it's it, that those ads are telling them that, um, you know, perhaps they could save some money, you know, that maybe you're overpaying for your product. So our members are having to remarket their accounts more frequently, um, which is resulting in uh, less efficiency, less profitability, and, and, and from what I, you know, from what I understand, slightly less retention. You know, the retention rates are dropping uh, ever so slightly, uh, and they're not getting the opportunity to quote new business. So I, I really think that we stand at this, you know, this really critical moment of the distribution system where our members are going to have to evolve and start embracing, um, you know, some, some business practices that uh, before they, they've been okay, um, you know, kind of not not addressing. Um, you know, I, I, we've talked for years here. Uh, we've, we've preached, we've evangelized about um, how the modern consumer uh, has a different set of expectations about how regardless of uh, of uh, which um, business you're in, uh, from a from a fixed standpoint, you know everybody's competing with the Amazons of the world in terms of what co the customer experience has has become. You know where where you've got the 24/7 access, you've got access to a, a, a wide array of products at great price and no hassle, and so those, that type of expectation um, that that we see now, and um, you know I, I mean we, we could talk to travel agent never saw um, that that sort of that sort of thing so we're really looking at how can we um, stop kind of evangelizing about here here's how consumer buying patterns are changing here's what the modern consumer expects um, our members are getting that now I mean I can see the light bulbs really going off when we talk to our members because you know I, I, I would you can sit in a room full of the oldest group of insurance agents you've ever seen and ask how many of you have bought a product on Amazon, um, you know, in the last 30 days. Every hand in the room gets raised. You know, you can ask you know, how many how many of you go and rent DVDs or, or how many of you have a Netflix subscription and every hand gets raised. So they're really starting to understand that um, things are changing. They're changing rapidly. Um, everyone, I don't, you know, everyone researches major product decisions on the internet before they buy, whether it's a new, you know, lawnmower or a new car or a washer dryer, everybody's doing the research online. So they understand that consumers are engaging in the same types of buying decisions that they're engaged in. Um, but they, but they, so they get it now, but they still don't really know how to go about implementing and changing and, and what that means for their agency. And they still have a lot of um, success with their existing client base based on their old business practices. So a lot of times when we talk to agencies about truly, you know, offering 24-7 service, about having a mobile app and mobile strategy, about having um, a, a better digital presence and, and more curb appeal from the digital standpoint and the importance of Google reviews and Yelp and those types of things, um, they get that. Um, but at the same time, they don't necessarily um, they, they sometimes I think they, they they feel like we're asking them to kind of abandon their old practices and and not really looking at this as, as a way to supplement or augment uh, you know their 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 traditional business model. Exactly, and that's I think you hit on some awesome points, and that's yeah, like what you just said is important because 
you're right. I think a lot of, uh, especially the more, you know, the seasoned veterans and the older agency owners, you know, they're like, I don't want to do this digital thing. You know, I, I built my business, you know, the old way, shaking hands and networking and knocking on doors and those types of things. And I think, like you said, we're, you know, it's not that we, people like myself or, or, or you are telling them to abandon that. It's, it's here's how you can augment, uh, you know, your, your offline strategies with uh, a digital presence. Because like you said, and like I've, I've kind of preached a few times, you know, 90% of all purchase cycles begin online. So your, your digital presence is really now, and even more so in the future, is really the front end of your, your brand. It's the front end of, of your agency now. And it's where customers are having their, their first experience and the first impression is being set. Um, so I think for sure, you know, the digital marketing thing and, you know, having a digital footprint is obviously of the utmost importance. The other, the other things that, you know, I see and some of the questions that come up uh, to me, and I'd like to get your, your input on these and, and sort of why I wrote the article is, you know, the marketing thing is, is one thing. And I know that a lot of associations and, organizations, they, you know, they help agencies get contracts and they help them get markets and carriers so they can place the, the vacant, uh, you know, the vacant hospital account or whatever the case is. You know, we all know that those are things that, um, you know, that an aggregator or cluster can help with. But some of the other things like, you know, business planning and, and succession planning, um, you know, guidelines, uh, best practices, software training, uh, producer compensation, um, how to hire when to fire. There's all these things that go into, you know, running an agency that I think a lot of agency owners, um, they, they, they kind of jump off the roof and build their parachute on the way down. And they're not really thinking about some of these other things that go into running an agency. So it's like they, they worry about that later when in reality, um, I think it, it's a combination of these, these things that need to be working together like an oiled machine uh, for an agency in this day and age to be successful. And you talk about, you know, retention and, and it's harder to retain and people are shopping around and uh, direct writers are getting eight touches a day on our, on our clients. And so all those things need to be working in rhythm um, for an agency to be successful. And I think that's where, again, uh, and associations could have some, some, maybe some better programs. And, what I personally saw as an agent, uh, agency owner is, you know, some of the, um, some of these groups, you know, they, they'll tell you, Hey, here's where you can go and look at, um, this software that will help you in your agency. Here's where you can go. We have a vendor that does this. Here's the website. It, it's, you know, unfortunately, like you're, like you alluded to a minute ago, I think agency owners really need help with implementation. Um, and, and, you know, it's one of those things where I look around at some of the agencies and you could make the argument that, you know, a lot of, a lot of us are, are understaffed in that way where, you know, we're all working in the business, but there's nobody to help you work on the business. And that is really problematic, especially in my opinion, uh, if the agency is predominantly personalized, because that is really what the direct writers are trying to kind of commoditize in, you know, in the eyes of the consumer. Um, and so, I don't know. I mean, what are your thoughts on some of those things? You know, producer comp, you know, software training, uh, business planning, succession play. I still see agency owners who, you know, they're 65 and there's really no game plan in place for them to sell the agency or any of that. So I think some of these 
these principles that we speak of are, you know, applicable to even older agency owners. Do you have anything to, you know, kind of add to that? Yeah. Let me, um, I guess let me make a couple of comments um, in, in response to, to, to your comments. One, I want to go back to um, the, the digital curb appeal, which is how you started your remarks. And it, it's really interesting to me that, um, you know, as, as we all know, that's so important. Um, but a lot of our members still don't get that, you know, I mean, and, and it's kind of funny because I still see agency owners that have a really nice bricks and mortar office, right? I mean, they, they take a lot of pride in their office. It might be in, in, a, it's in a really nice part of town. It's in a historic building. It's in a nice house that they've taken a lot of care in, um, you know, restoring. And, you know, you, you walk in and, and it's a really nice office space and it smells good. They've got scented candles burning and it's a great office space. And then you go to their website and it's crap. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just this crappy <laughs> website. And I'm like, well, you know, there's a disconnect here. You know, this, your, your website, it is how most consumers are going to make their first impression. And, and they're still in the mindset that the first impression is, what does my office look like when you drive by on the street? You know, exactly. I'm going to drive by the street and I see that your office is in a nice part of town and, you know, in a nice building and, and they must be reputable, right? I mean, that's, so, so they, so they still get that from an investment standpoint, but, but they're not. That doesn't translate into sometimes um, their digital presence, and, and I think that that message is starting to get across. Um, but it, it, we still have to be more active in um, conveying that and in, in expressing the importance of having that digital presence, um, particularly if you want to have any opportunity at all to attract the uh, millennial customer. You know, I mean, I really, you know, I mean, I really have concerns about how a lot of agencies um, hold themselves out there in the digital world and whether or not they're going to be attractive to um, my daughters once they graduate from college and, and start purchasing insurance, you know, with, with, with a limited web presence, with no, no mobile strategy, with only conducting business during office hours. I mean, those are not things that... Um, those are not things that are that my children are going to find acceptable in, in the marketplace. Um, those are not things that recent college graduates like uh, like Ava are going to find acceptable in the marketplace. So that that's one thing. The other thing, when you talk about specific training, I think as an association and really not really as an association, probably as an industry, um, we've all kind of fallen victim of the requirement for continuing education hours. Um, you know, when, when you look at the, the continuing education requirements, you know, most states are, are on something like a, you know, 24 hours every two years or 15 hours a year, somewhere in that range of, of hours that are required um, in order to keep your license active and, and get your license renewed. Um, and as an association, we focus so heavily on only offering courses that meet that requirement for licensure. Um, and a lot of the classes that, that you talk about are a lot of the training needs that our members have, um, wh whether it's on marketing or sales or producer compensation. Um, sometimes it's very difficult to get those types of classes approved for continuing education. Um, you know, the regulators, the regulators within our industry have kind of required that in order to have a class um, qualify for continuing education, it's got to be the nuts and bolts of analyzing the technical aspects of an insurance policy. And what are the coverages and what are the exclusions? 
Um, so as, as an association, and I think as an industry, we've kind of neglected the other side of the education that insurance agents need to really be um, proficient, you know, proficient at their job. So I mean, that's, um, sadly, it is what it is. Now, there, there, um, there are a lot of organizations, and, and we're uh, here in North, in North Carolina, you know, we have preferred uh, relationships with consultants and vendors that can do perpetuation planning and, and, and help our members in a number of areas like that. Um, and we do uh, try to offer uh, classes and courses. You know, we, we generally have some type of breakout session at a conference or convention that deals on a perpetuation issue or um, an agency of a producer compensation issue. Um, but by and large, I, I think you're spot on that um, that area of agent education has been neglected by and large. And I, and I think that neglect really stems from the continuing education requirements. That's a great point. You know, I, I never even really thought about that, but you're right. I mean, it kind of conditions the agency owners to, you know, really not think about that stuff, but maybe once every two years when they have to fulfill their, their CE. Yeah. Um, and by the way, to kind of backtrack, you know, I'm not in any way saying that it's the responsibility of the association to do any of this. I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, it's up to the agency to, to, to be proactive and want to, to better themselves. I mean, you could have the best coaches and advisors and vendors in the world, but it is uh, at the end of the day, it's up to the agencies to, to act on that. Um, and that I guess is where, you know, I look at it and I say, you know, it, it's so easy to, to, to start an agency, but it's so hard to run one and, and last in this business. And it's going to become even harder. And I think a lot of agencies and especially people like, like myself who were, you know, 23 years old and really didn't know what they wanted to do. And, you know, I had a friend of mine pull up in a, in a Mercedes Benz and he was 25 years old. And I said, what are you like, what do you do and how can I do it? You know, is, is it legal what you're doing, you know? Um, and so he said, I, I sell car insurance at uh, AIG. I, and, and I said, you sell car insurance. And so that's how I got into the business. You know, he got me an interview and I sat in a cubicle for three years with AIG and sold HO3 policies. Um, you know, it's just funny how that happens. And then, and then I started a scratch independent agency. I left AIG and started a scratch independent agency. And for the first like six months, I'm like, is this, this, this kid, there's gotta be more to it. Like this is too easy. And then when I really took a step back and kind of looked at it, uh, like the 30,000 foot view and saw how much competition there was, I was like, oh my goodness, like what did I get myself into? Um, and thankfully, you know, my agency was sort of um, locked in as a plug-in to a wealth management operation. So I had some like co-marketing and some support in that way with like referrals and stuff. Um, so I definitely had a little bit of help, but um, a lot of things that we talk about, you know, digital and, and training and those types of things, um, you know, really there, there needs to be and, and something that, you know, that advisor evolved is kind of working on uh, for associations like you is there needs to be like a blueprint or a system that uh, that agencies can log into and follow, especially newer agencies, and maybe even a good refresher uh, for older ones, because I think, you know, we fall into certain habits as humans, and whether that be in personal or business life, that are sometimes difficult to break. And in this type of business, 
in this type of business where it's very saturated and, and competitive, this is not a business to rest on your laurels. I mean, you need to be able to pivot. You need to be able to change things. You need to be able to rebrand in two weeks if you have to. You need to be able to go after niche markets. You need to be able to do, um, this is a proactive, fast-moving type of business. And I think, um, you know, un unfortunately, the habit is to kind of lay back. And I I've talked about this with other people. It's like, you know, when I talk to agencies and they we, we, we're going through their, their plan for their digital marketing and it's like, you know, let me, let me ask you a question, you know, and you can answer this however you, uh, however you want. And I always ask them, I say, are you in growth mode or are you in golf mode? You know, because, um, it's, it's either one or the other, you know, and if you're, if you're in golf mode, that's okay. If you're in maintenance mode, that's okay. But just understand that these, all these things, uh, are necessary to operate successfully not just the digital marketing, um, but, and so that's kind of why I, I look at, you know, associations because let's be, let's be honest. I mean, the, the cluster or the upline or the MGA or, you know, the aggregator or the association like the big I, um, you know, those are the powerhouse type of, of organizations that have resources that can maybe help. And obviously a lot of carriers are still, uh, are still sort of catching up. There's, there's a couple of carriers in my opinion that, that get it and are really trying to help agencies kind of evolve. Um, and yeah, so I think it's an interesting, interesting thing going forward. And that's why I'm so anxious to, a lot of, I don't know if a lot of people even know about the, the uh, marketing dashboard that we're putting together, but it's essentially going to be a place where agencies can log in and go through, you know, marketing modules and, you know, how to do SEO, how to do Facebook ads, how to do LinkedIn outreach, how to do email marketing, you know, how to write a business plan, how to, um, you know, set yourself up for retirement. You know, I came from uh, a wealth management firm where all we, all they did really was help people plan and help business owners plan for retirement and succession. And so all those things kind of go into uh, running a successful operation. And I, you know, I kind of wanted to, I wanted to talk about this with you, but I also wanted to applaud you because you're one of the, you know, you're one of the few uh, people that I've seen actually be very proactive on this front with some of the things that you're doing, just even, you know, having someone like myself come down and, and talk to some of your, your agents, like th that's a, as simple as that is, that's something that not a lot of people do. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think you guys are doing a great job with that. Yeah. Thanks Chris. Um, you know, it's, it's really, it's interesting. Um, you know, the, when, when I look at our, our membership and look at the independent agency distribution system, one thing that is um, kind of obvious right now is there's a little bit of a shrinking of the middle size agency. You know, the merger and acquisition climate is extremely rapid. So agencies are, you know, you're getting larger agencies on one side of the equation because the, the, the large agency is purchasing the medium size agency. So now you've just got a, even a larger agency and the medium size agency kind of gets absorbed in. But then on the other hand, you've got a lot of really small startup agencies. You know, you've got the one-man shops and the two-man shops of, of people that are either um, converting to the independent agency uh, channel kind of after a similar experience as yours. You know, maybe they were working for a direct writer, they're working for a captive agent, and now they, they want to go out and, and kind of um, explore uh, their entrepreneurial side and, and start an agency. Um, or that they're not real happy with the merger and acquisition that took place within the medium-sized agency. So they start, they, they decide to maybe take their book or 
buy their book and, and start a scratch agency. Um, really interesting because it, it leaves us um, trying to serve a very wide range of, uh, of agencies. We've got the agency that uh, is going to have more employees. Um, it's going to have, you know, 15, 20, 30 employees. Um, and that, that's a good thing, right? Because when an agency gets to be that size, um, typically they are uh, more willing to perhaps make an investment in dollars and maybe even in uh, personnel to um, handle things like digital marketing and social media and, um, you know, blog writing and, and those types of things that can dedicate some resources to it. On the other end, you've got these really small agencies out there um, where you're going to be looking at uh, one person having to wear a whole lot of hats. Uh, you know, one person that's not only, um, you know, the chief cook and chief bottle washer, right? And they're having to figure out everything from the marketing to the sales to the technology to agency management system and everything in between. Um, so there, I think there's opportunity for us to be positioned to help that agency as well um, from an actual, you know, kind of allowing them to outsource certain functions, whether it's digital marketing or um blogging or, or whatever i think they can outsource some of that um to either us as an organization or to vendors that we partnered with um so you know it, it, it's an interesting you know it's an interesting time to see how we're going to be trying to you know position ourselves to serve um a wide a range a, a wide array of members um so yeah i mean it's the the, cha the challenge is real you know the challenge is real the challenge is absolutely real um you know we're our whole vision statement at the association all focuses around empowering our members to rise above the competition and um you know how do we go about doing that and helping them to where they can have a competitive sustainable advantage in the marketplace and, and kind of reach, you know, reach, reach their business goals. Uh, um, and being that our members, uh, that there's such a wide range in what a member agency looks like. I mean, you know, a member, a member agency can be a, a, a hundred person um, agency that uh, has 18 branches across the state, or it could be a, a brand new agency that uh, has, you know, one employee and they're just trying to figure out you know, how to, you know, how to keep the lights turned on tomorrow. Exactly. So it's, it's yeah, and I would say, you know, any small agent, um, one person agency or uh, two, three, four per, you know, any small agencies that might be, you know, listening to this episode, you know, what I would encourage you to do, because this is something that I kind of fell into the trap of myself, uh, because like you just said, I was the, the chief hook and bottle washer as well. And that's, that's sort of a dangerous spot to be in because you, in some ways, don't really, you know, you have to be a good manager of time. Like, you have to make time to work on your business because it's very, very easy to get sucked in to the day-to-day -day grind. Um, and so, you know, what I, would, what I would tell smaller agencies is, you know, make sure that you are properly staffed. And, and what, I, what I mean by that is not necessarily going out and hiring a full-time person or whatever, but use your resources and use your time wisely. You know, automate 
what you can automate, outsource where you can outsource and spend, you know, even if it's just four hours a week, you know, a Sunday morning or whatever, um, you know, spend some time and really think about the big picture of your business and, and think about, you know, working on your business and not just the, the working in it part. Because I think if you can start with an end goal, like this is what I do with everything, right? I start with an end goal and I, I kind of work backwards. And, you know, how am I going to get to that point? Well, this needs to happen, this needs to happen, and this needs to happen. And, you know, I'd love to see agencies, because, um, again, I know from struggling, struggling with it myself, how hard it can be to kind of get out of that hole. I mean, you, you blink your eyes, and you've been in the business for three or four years, and, you know, it's like, okay, where am I going? You know, my book is growing a little bit. I'm getting clients. I have this. But what is my end game? And it's like, again, coming from a retirement planning sort of background, it's like you should always be thinking about the end. You should always be yeah. thinking about uh, planning for, you know, what you're, how, what are you going to do? Are you going to merge? Are you going to sell? Are you going to do this until you're 80 years old? Um, I, I think it's just a lot easier. And it's quite frankly, it's a lot more enjoyable of a business to run when you have a plan, when you have, um, you know, a blueprint, when you have goals. And I would love to see more of that because I think that would be, um, you know, I think that would be helpful. This is a, this is a stressful business. I mean, uh, any kind of sales is stressful, but when you're in a, when you're in an environment like this, where, you know, your competitors, um, are spending billions of dollars a year to, to kind of work against you in some ways, in many ways. And then you have all these other independents. I mean, there's, uh, there's insurance agency owners on every corner. So it's one of those things where, uh, you know, you really have to, again, spend time on your business and, and not just in it. And I think that's where I think a lot of these, you know, associations and groups and stuff could really be helping, um, helping kind of push, maybe push that and not just say, Hey, here's a website you can go to. Um, here's where you can kind of, you know, get help with that. So it's, uh, there's a lot of things that go into it for sure. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, I wanted to, to get you on here. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a I'm a I'm a huge fan of reverse engineering. You know, set setting goals and then reverse engineering. You know, how to how to get there. Whether that's something that's um you know in my personal life, whether it's you know running a marathon or losing weight or whatever, um to business life as well. You know, what's your end goal? Um, it, it's funny. I I talked to my staff in our staff meeting yesterday about goal setting, the importance of goal setting, um, and that is something that um. The, the small entrepreneur, you know, the small business owner sometimes struggles with because they're they're so busy being involved in the business and not and not necessarily on the business. So one of the things, and we we've talked about um, our our newest hire here at the association office. We um, uh, we, we we recently hired uh, a young lady. Um, she's got her MBA from Campbell University, and she's going to be working as uh, our um, Agency solution specialist. So this is someone who's going to be uh, talking with our member agencies and really helping them um, figure out how to how to move their business forward um, and hopefully take advantage of some of the some of the tools and offerings that, that we have here at the association to think do that. Um, but primarily working with our member agencies, you know, proactively and, and helping them um, think about you know goal planning and, and how to reach the goals and how to remain relevant in the marketplace and those types. So I'm glad you touched on this. Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm good friends with uh, the person, the head of agency development at the old, um, like, cluster, if you will, in integrator that, uh, that my agency was a part of. And, you know, uh, he said many times over, you know, it's like we try to help these agents, but they, they, they don't, they don't want to participate. You know, we send them emails about events and training and we have, you know, people from carriers that come to our office all the time to offer these free courses and these free, you know, lunch and learns. They just don't do it. And it's one of those things where I, I know I get it. Sometimes it can be hard to get out of the office for, you know, eight hours or whatever. So I, I like what you're doing because it's like, you know, you're not necessarily waiting for them to come to you. You're going to them. Like you're bringing it to their door. And I think, um, I think that other associations and groups can, can maybe take something away from that because um, really, you know, the success of the, the, the upline depends on the success of the agency. So it's, you know, again, no matter what part of this industry you're in, whether you're an agent, you know, an underwriter, a manager, really you do have to be proactive even as an association or a group being proactive with customers, with claims people, and with agency owners, that is really the name of the game in the insurance industry is proactive. And I recently wrote an article on our blog um, that, that kind of talks about some of those things and really the cost of being proactive. And um, it's, it costs money. It costs money to, to have a person like uh, that you just hired. It costs money to out to take you know 40 hours a week and reach out to these agencies the, the the thing is though it's a small price to pay in the in the front end for you know the the rewards that you could reap on the back end when you have a huge group of very successful agencies um so i i think it's awesome that you that you're doing that i mean i i really i really hope that this you know other people listen to this episode um uh, some of your 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 peers and friends and uh, people that are doing what you're doing with other big eye chapters and whatnot, because, um, you know, you, you could be like the, uh, the trendsetter here with this, uh, with yeah, this strategy it's, here. It's, it's certainly going to, um, I mean, there are, there are a lot of people that are going to pay attention to what we're doing, no doubt about it. Um, and you know, it, it's going to be kind of up to us to prove the concept and show that this is something that um, will add value to our members because at the end of the day, you know, it's all about adding value to the member and helping them better position themselves in the marketplace, uh, help, helping them gain new business, new customers. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting right now to look. And um, I, I know that, that you're friends with and follow uh, the happenings at TrustedChoice.com to some degree. Um, mm -hmm. You know, really exciting stuff going on there. And um, yeah. at the same time, it's really it's really interesting. And sometimes it's a bit scary. You know, when, when, when you hear about the, the calls that are being generated um, through TrustedChoice.com and, and sometimes, just quite frankly, how our, our members, the, the, our agencies that are receiving those leads at times are really ill-equipped to handle those calls. You yep, know, yeah. they're, they're, uh, the phone's ringing and, they're and, you know, I guess um, Ryan uh, Hanley recently wrote a, a blog about, you know, how many consumers are getting trapped in a phone tree hell. You know, and and how that just how phone how phone trees were a very cutting edge, modern, efficient uh, business tool that a lot of agencies incorporated. But now it may be time to kind of rethink that um, because a phone tree is extremely an inefficient way to 
to deal with a, a prospective customer that's calling into your agency. Um, so, you know, that's going to be something that um, I think a lot of agencies are going to have to take a look at and, and see, do, do I need to make an adjustment there or at least make an adjustment to the phone tree system, right? If you, hey, if you're calling for a quote, press one. And exactly. Something easy like that, you know, maybe like a really um, clear, concise call to action, like I know you recommend people have on their website. Them. For sure, yeah, we're in a very on-demand type of of space. Um, you know, whether we like to admit it or not, whether we like to participate in that or not. I mean, you know, you can go to Geico or any of these other company websites, and you can get a price in ten minutes. I mean, it's yeah. it's it is what it is, and you know, the independent agent um, may or may not be able to provide that exact experience. Um, but if you can't, there's other things that you could be doing to help become more, uh, more on demand. And, and one, of the, one of our agency uh, clients uh, is out in uh, Tucson, Arizona. It's uh, integrityinsure.com, uh, Aaron Nutting of Integrity Insurance. And, and you know Aaron from, um, from uh, the, I think it was the expo or one of the events, but um, we did something on our website where we have a, uh, a little chat icon in the bottom right hand corner that allows people to do a live chat, but do a live chat to her business Facebook page. So um, not your typical live chat where you're, you're talking into like a little uh, screen. It's, it's kind of the same, I guess, end result, but the chat actually happens on Facebook, which, which is where a lot of people are already anyway. So just little small things like that, that you can do to become more, of an on-demand thing and, and even live chat in general. I mean, some people say, well, I don't want to have it because you know we had it one time and no one ever used it. Um, and that's okay. That's okay if no one ever used it, but it's the one time that someone does use it and they have a great experience with you, which could lead to 10 other households. Right. right. So, you know, it's one of those things, you know, don't give up too early on some of these things that you know, is, is something that I say to people. You know, give it a try. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But don't don't be too quick to dump it because um, you know we we may not be able to replicate the experience uh, made by Geico at least not yet um, until you know software advances and agency management systems advance. Um, but there's a lot of things that we could be doing as you know as agencies to at least go in that direction. So I would I would love to see you know agencies do more of that. Yeah, I tell you one. Um, there, there, I'll give you two real real life examples for me personally that have all taken place in the last you know in the last few months that I that I point to and talk with the agency owners all the time. Um, I, I bought this old um, you know redneck Jeep off of an eBay auction uh, a few months ago, right? And um, my wife loves it, but that's another story. Just kidding. Um, so. I, I buy this this uh, Jeep off of an eBay auction. I go and I pick it up on like a Sunday night, you know, like 200 miles from here in Virginia. Drive it home. It's freezing cold. It's only got a bikini top on it. Um, I nearly freeze to death driving the thing home. But anyway, get it home, and then now I need to call my insurance agent, right? I need to add it to my insurance policy. Well, I buy I buy the thing on an eBay auction on a Sunday. Can't call him on a Sunday. You know, he, my agent's not open on Sunday. They're, they don't take phone calls on a Sunday. So um, I go to work Monday morning and Monday turns into Monday like it does for a lot of people. And before you know it, before you even breathe, it's lunchtime. And by the time you take your second breath, it's like 530. I drive back to my apartment here in North Carolina 
and there's my Jeep sitting in the, you know, sitting in the apartment lot parking lot. And I'm like, dang it, you know, I forgot to call my insurance agent about the Jeep. You know, I'll, I have to do it tomorrow. And then tomorrow, same thing happens. You know, I'm busy in meetings all day and w- whatever. So, you know, it's, it's really, it's really a frustrating process as a consumer that I couldn't call my insurance agent at six o'clock and add my Jeep, you know, when I, when I got home from work, you know, and that, that's the type of thing that, um, a lot of insurance agents, current customers, they'll deal with it. You know, they're, they're used to that type of business model. So they'll, in, they'll suffer through it. I mean, quite frankly, for lack of a better word, um, I love my insurance agent. Um, he's been my independent insurance agent my entire life. He was my father's independent insurance agent, you know, and, and I'll suffer and kind of endure through that, that inconvenience of sure. having to make sure I carve out time out of my work day, right? Because that's the only time he's open. I got to carve out time out of my work day, steal time from my employer, essentially, to call and add uh, my, my Jeep onto my personal insurance policy. Um, my my kids aren't going to deal with that you know i mean that and that that's one of the concerns that i have about the distribution system is that's not going to be an acceptable business model um to attract a millennial customer to to get a millennial customer's business and quite frankly you don't have to be a millennial i mean that's just one of those things that anybody i mean even me as a 48 year old man that's just not an acceptable thing um and then and then uh, back you know i had uh one of my daughters that's away at school was was home for the weekend she's getting ready to make the trek back you know i'm checking the air pressure in the tires and checking the belts and checking the hoses and then i'm checking hey make sure do you have do you have your id card your insurance id card she doesn't have it she doesn't know what she did with it i know i gave it to her when she was home for christmas but now (laughs) where is it we don't know right was saturday morning she's getting ready to drive back down to boca raton where she's at school how do i go about getting a copy of her insurance auto id card 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning, you know, and, um, yeah. with, both, with most of our members and with, with my, with my insurance agent, that was, that was not going to happen, you know, and, and those, those are the types of things that I think our member agents have to be prepared to address and do it. Not so much to keep their current customer base satisfied. And, and this is the, this is kind of the problem. This is the disconnect. Like, like you mentioned where, um, oh, well, none of my current customers want that, so I don't need that. I don't need live chat because none of my current customers use that. Or I don't need a mobile app because none of my current customers have asked me for a mobile app. Okay, yeah, I get that. But if you're going to be relevant and if, you're, and if you're going to be an attractive option for the next generation of consumer, those are types of things that you at least have to consider whether or not they're going to be important to the, the, the consumer that you don't have. Right. It's, it's you got to stop thinking so much about the customer you have, but it's about the customer that you're going to want to have to keep your agency relevant and viable and profitable in the future. So, yeah, exactly. You, you touched on something that I want to that I want to go back to. You said that, you know, you've been using the same agency uh, for your whole life and it was your father's independent insurance agency. And that's something that we need to be cognizant of as cognizant of as, as agency owners is you know, that's what I did. You know, when I was a little, when I was 16, 17, I'm like, mom, who do you, where do I go for insurance? And ended up using her agent. Um, and so that's normally what, what happens is, you know, when the, when these kids are younger and they don't know where to go, you know, they ask mom or dad and, um, there's going to be a point in time where, you know, 
that that's going to be how you acquire um, new businesses through you know the children of your clients. So what you just said, don't don't be just worried about the client that you you have. You know, be aware of the person that you're going to have, whether it be children of your clients or referrals. So yeah, a lot of a lot of good things. Um, we're coming right up on about an hour, and I want to be I want to be sensitive of your of your time because. You talk about carving time out of your workday, and I do appreciate you uh, you coming on with me today. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm glad to be here, Chris. Yeah, um, I guess if you you know if you had maybe you know one piece of advice that you would give to an agency owner who you know regardless of size, you know whether they are um, you know a twenty person agency or maybe a one to five person agency, like what is the one maybe takeaway that you would want an agency owner to, to leave this, this episode with, if you, I'm trying kind of putting you on the spot here, but that's easy. No. So I, it's really kind of a two part answer. One, um, I would say, you know, have a very clear vision of where you want your agency to be in, in three years from now. Okay. So have, have the three year vision of where you want to be. And then have a marketing plan that's going to support that vision, right? And it's really it's more than a marketing plan. Marketing is one part of it, but a marketing operations plan that's going to support that vision. Um, and take a look at your marketing plan. Is, is it still, you know, is it still relevant? Yeah. Man, it, it's so, and I know, I mean, you're, you're, you're in the business of, of um, you know, selling websites and doing uh, digital makeovers and, and enhancing digital verb appeal. And, but it's still amazing to me. Um, you know, how many agencies out there will spend a lot of money doing kind of some tr traditional marketing and yet on the digital front, they're still a bit negligent in my opinion, you know, yeah, and they'll yeah. sponsor every little league team and every, and, they'll, and they'll, they'll, they'll pay money to have a sign hanging on the outfield fence at the local high school. Um, but yet they, but yet they don't spend the right amount of money to make sure they've got a really attractive and functional website. So have a three year vision know where you want your agency to go and then take a look at your marketing and your operational uh, plan to see if you've got one that supports that vision. Awesome. Words of wisdom from the CEO of the Big Eye North Carolina, Albie Knight. This is episode seven of the Digital Advisor podcast. You're going to be able to watch a replay of this a couple different places. There's going to be a blog post on Advisor Evolved, also on our podcast page, which is advisorevolve.com forward slash podcast. And if you're an iTunes subscriber or Google Music subscriber, our podcast is also uh, in those places as well. So Albie, uh, I want to thank you again, sir, for taking the time out of your day. And again, we're all in this together, you know, associations, uh, people like myself who are running, you know, a vendor um, agencies, you know, we're all in this together. We all are, are doing these things for the betterment of this this ind independent channel and so you know thanks for everything that you know you're doing uh for the industry and for your time today uh here on the podcast my pleasure chris thank you for having me i enjoyed it very much all right you guys have a great day thanks man you too